0: Welcome back to Thriving in Business and Life. This is Will Wilkinson.
1: And I'm Christopher Harding. And Will, last week we entertained ourselves at least with. uh, We had a good time as I recall. (laughs) Yeah, a whole conversation about how our tendency as human beings, as a matter of fact, some people say it, it is our default, is that we are constantly imposing meaning onto the facts. In other words, we have a story running in our mind about who we are, what a situation means, who the other person is, and we act as if those stories are absolutely true rather than realizing they're just our version of reality.
0: Well, I think it's important to realize, as we said last week, that this is innate. Right. We, all humans tell stories, it's automatic. I think it might have been Carl Sandburg who said, we tell stories... So that we don't feel so alone.
1: Well, that's interesting. And, it, and it, we talked about how from the earliest times, uh, even, you know, on cave paintings, you could see that our early, early ancestors were telling stories about what had happened. So this week, we're going to kind of take that a step further and look at this thing called implicit or unconscious bias, what some people actually call the virus of bias, and look at how those, if we could say it, viruses of bias can a lot of times infect our storytelling and really shade how we see other people and other situations without our even knowing it.
0: This is really fascinating. I I remember when you and I were first digging into this, you've, you've done programs on this for many years. It was really illuminating to see how unconscious we are about those biases. Even when challenged, people will say, well, not me, I have an open mind, and yet the biases are there.
1: Right, I mean, we've talked about this before, but Harvard was so fascinated with this that for a number of years now they run a program called the Harvard Implicit Association Test, and you can go to that, uh, you know, Google that, and take uh, a test where you get a chance to see how influenced you have been based on all the social memes and stereotypes that are out there about all kinds of differences.
0: Does it give you like a score where you are on the bias scale?
1: Yeah, it basically lets you know how influenced you've been. And one of the greatest shocks for people is that they see that they've been influenced to have biases, even about themselves or Mm -hmm. their own group.
0: Well, one of the uh, earliest biases I can remember becoming conscious of, silly little thing, I was pulling into a gas station to fill up. And I thought, well, why am I in an Exxon station? And I realized it was because my dad always went to Esso in Canada. It was early on, and so I automatically just was biased towards going into Esso stations. Gas wasn't better. Gas wasn't cheaper. It was just the way I did it.
1: Well, that's the that's the magic of uh, brand identity, right? And so, but you think about what you're talking about is. We are typically favorably biased towards the familiar mm-hmm, right. favorably biased towards our own group or people we consider to be like us, and more suspect understandably towards people that we don 't know don 't understand, and so on and so If I recognize that right away, I'll realize that I may be susceptible to something called the halo effect. Mm -hmm. The people I have a natural affinity for, I will give more preferential treatment to completely unconsciously.
0: Right, and we'll respect their viewpoints. Yes. Just automatically. We'll we'll give them a pass on certain things. I'm, I'm remembering a story I heard, who knows if this is true, but it's an entertaining story about a little girl helping her mother in the kitchen. And the mother was baking ham. Right. And she cut the end, both ends off the ham, put it in the oven, and the little girl said, well, why did you do that? And mother was kind of perplexed. She said, well, I'm not sure, but my mother always did it. Let's ask her. They asked the mother, and she said, well, you know, I, I don't really know. My mother always did that. Let's ask grandma. They asked her, and she said, well, the pan was too small.
1: <laughs> right. She didn't have a pan big enough to cook right. the whole ham. So in that case, the
0: halo effect was, it, was in place because mother, wanted to do it the way her mother had done it, her daughter wanted to do it the way her mother had done it, and they all were unconsciously carrying out a behavior that, when you look at it, didn't really make any sense.
1: <laughs> right. Well, so if, we, if we're if we aware that we can become susceptible to the halo effect, that we may unconsciously give preference to people who we have a natural affinity for, the reverse is also true. We may also unconsciously overlook or not see the value in someone who's different from us because we just don't have that built-in uh familiarity with their ability and
0: well sadly this affects whole groups. I mean, talk to any woman who sat in a boardroom and been ignored. Right. Talk to anyone in a minority group who will report the same thing without anything having transpired. They're simply Less, They're showing up as having less value in the conversation.
1: Well, and, and uh, as, as you know, a few years back, uh, myself and one of our other colleagues uh, was asked to come into a large consulting company and work with them because they knew they had some unconscious bias going on because a lot of their top women were leaving the organization. And so all we had to do to go to your point was sit in some of their meetings, and watch what transpired. And it was it wasn't intentional. You could Mm -hmm. see that it wasn't intentional. But for example, a woman would offer a point of view, and there'd be no comment from the 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 man or other men in the meeting uh, who were who were leading. It'd just be, "So Bob, what do you think?" And and you know, the more we watched this, we realized that they had this sense that 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 the woman, unconsciously, they had the sense that the woman wasn't having anything to say that was of value. Now, we did a lot of interviews, we spent a lot of time with the organization, and if you asked the men who had demonstrated this behavior, did they realize they'd done it, Mm -hmm. they were completely unaware.
0: Exactly, unconscious.
1: Unconscious, yeah, and so that's why we call it the virus of bias, because it slips into our thinking and functions like a computer virus, and we don't even know it's happening.
0: Well, I'm really looking forward to diving deep into this during the next few minutes here, because one of the the ways companies can try and solve this is to view it as a PR problem, right? And then right. champion some small gain that they've made. the The technical term I've heard to describe this is the pseudopodic ego.
1: Right. I remember you introducing that term to me some time back, and it was it's like, It's a great wow. term.
0: I mean, and all it means is, say, in a company, they've got a big problem where women feel they're not really being respected as equals to, of the, the men. So they choose some woman, they, they promote her to some position, and then on the front page of their international newsletter is her picture, and now the company is an advocate for women's rights in the workplace. Uh, not really. Right. Not really. They're inflating some little move that they made. They haven't really addressed the the problem that is is virally inside the entire organization. Perhaps.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's that's uh, I think probably maybe a tendency we all have is to try to do one thing that's corrective and act as if that solved the yeah. deeper issue. Yeah. And, check
0: that off the list.
1: <laughs> right. Well, and so you know to to be clear all people, and this is what the Harvard test uh, shows, all of us are carrying around, you could say, the library of biases and stereotypes from our culture. We've picked them up almost uh, through osmosis from media, from our family, from our friends, just from being in society. We pick up these notions, we pick up these biases, and so unless we become conscious of them, and start to really be willing to have people let us know when we've carried one of these out, we're going to be very vulnerable, or susceptible, you could say, to this virus of bias.
0: Well, let's back up for just a moment, because we don't want to give the incorrect impression that all biases are bad. I mean, there is a valid role that bias plays. For instance, when I'm driving, I'm biased, to see what I need to see to drive safely and to exclude a host of other visual information that if I was equally aware of it could distract me from driving
1: well and so let's let's even go a step further back and say what is a bias yeah and, and one way to look at it is that it's a slice of information mm-hmm. it's a certain segment of the picture that we focus on yeah it's
0: like selected awareness right
1: yeah that's a great way to say it selected awareness and that our brain functions in a way that it will focus on what it thinks is important
0: and that's a great ability you absolutely. Think of Uh, Any animal that's hunting is totally fixated, and uh, that's useful in certain circumstances. What we're concerned about is circumstances where it's actually not useful.
1: Well, exactly, and what what happened, because if you look at the history, for example, of most work environments for decades, the primary people, especially in the U.S. and in other countries uh, as well, Men were the primary uh, people in the workforce, so Mm -hmm. that was what the brain was focused on, was listening to other men. Well, as more women and people of different cultures and backgrounds came into the work environment, the brain had been trained for those who'd been in it to listen to that particular group of people. And because there wasn't familiarity with the value and the assets and the richness that other people brought, our tendency was to overlook it.
0: Yes, yes. Right. And without doing something directly and consciously to address that, the habit persisted.
1: Exactly. So
0: we're we're trying to overcome a habit, but often we're very unskilled at doing that. Uh, I think people have the experience at New Year's resolution time. I'm going to quit eating uh, junk because I need to lose weight. Well, it's very difficult just to shed a bad habit because nature abhors a vacuum. So something else will rush in to take its place. So if we're dealing with implicit bias, unconscious bias, we're becoming aware of what, what's going on, what's the step beyond just stopping doing that?
1: Right. And that's one of the things where we really advocate that, that leaders that managers, that everybody for that matter, start to look at how can I make sure? That I'm leveraging the intelligence and the genius of everybody who's, who's in the room. Who's, you know, start, we get into inclusion in one of our chapters in our book and, and it goes hand in hand with this is if I see my role is to facilitate the genius in the room that everybody brings to really leverage all of the background and wisdom that people carry with them, then I start to you know, consciously look for who hasn't spoken up. Who right. haven't we heard from? Right. Uh, one of our clients uh, invented something they call the bias monitor.
0: Yes, very helpful. The person who's looking out for bias.
1: Yeah, they, it's a rotating role, and so they start to look out for: did did we overlook somebody? Was there a comment that somebody said that that kind of got downplayed, or are we? judging one person more harshly than another, even though they have the same background and skills. So those are things that they're doing to actively reverse the trend of unconscious bias.
0: Well, to take it even to another level here, there is unconscious bias, neglecting or dismissing what a person is saying. There's also reacting to it, like, "Oh, oh here she goes again, where someone's been identified as a troublemaker, so Nancy begins to speak up, and you can feel it tangibly in the room—the tightening. Oh, oh! She's going to have a divergent view, and that's a whole other matter.
1: Well, and again, so this is where you just really have to start to look at how much of that is um, just that we're not willing to listen to divergent views, mm-hmm. and that's possible too. And and you know that might be a problem in and of itself. Or that if somebody else said what Nancy said, we'd be totally willing to lean into it. That's
0: the point I'm making, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've connected her to something that we just don't want to listen to.
1: Right. And so, you know, it's, it's that whole piece of are we willing to hear opposing points of view and, and gain what they have to bring. And, you know, I, like you said, it's, it's not enough to simply say, well, I'm going to stop being biased mm-hmm. because Our brain works in such a way that we all have biases.
0: Let's get into this. I know you love the brain science behind this.
1: Well it's it's for me, it, it's kind of fascinating. And it goes back to what you were talking about with uh, the whole hunting aspect, is our brain has a mechanism they've discovered, they call it the RAS, or reticular activating system, uh, which focuses on the thing that we believe to be most uh, important at the moment. Uh, we've referred to the Subaru effect, where one way you can understand this is if you've been out shopping for Subarus, suddenly you start to see them everywhere, because that's what your brain is focusing. Where
0: did all the Subarus come from? <laughs> right, We're always there.
1: <laughs> and we just weren't noticing that. Yeah. So the flip side of that is a phenomenon called brain blindness, where uh, our easiest analogy of that is you set your smartphone down somewhere. It's not where you usually set it. Now you're looking for it and you don't see it, even though your eyes are sending the signal to your brain saying, hey, it's right there on the table. Your brain is actually filtering that out because It's not looking to
0: find it there right and to take this to another level I think I told this story in the book about uh, my dad helping my dad when I was a kid do carpentry work and he would say "Uh, go in the garage and bring back the finishing nails and my heart would sink because I had before tried to do that I hadn't been able to find the nails it had happened a couple of times now I had the belief that I wasn't going to be able to find those nails sure enough I'd search exactly where my dad said they were. They're not there. i go back and report that to him. He'd say, come on, we go in there. They were right there. Brain blindness, I couldn't see them. And a big part of that was my own stress and expectation that I would have trouble seeing them.
1: Well, so let's take that into a work environment and think about how that works. First of all, uh, if I'm a manager, if I'm a leader, maybe even a team member, if I don't believe someone has value, I will miss it, even though it's there. If I don't, won't
0: even be able to see it when it is there.
1: Yeah, I won't see their capability, I won't see their skill level. On the other hand, if I believe it's there, I'll look for it and find it. Uh, that's where the halo effect comes in.
0: You know, this is verging into the quantum world, which I've been studying lately. Uh, the phrase there is, as viewed, so seen. Right, right. Which puts it in a nutshell. Yeah, the way I look determines what I'm seeing.
1: Exactly. And so now let's go back to your story about the nails in the garage. Thanks. Rub uh, it in. <laughs> now that I mean you think about it. So let's say that you know that people don't see you as having value. They don't see you as having skills. What they're finding is that if that's your experience repetitively, you start to doubt yourself. You start to not be able to even see your own ability and that it literally puts the person's brain into survival mode where it's only able to do those four things, fight, flight, freeze, or faint. Mm -hmm. And so if I want somebody to be at their best, I need to be consciously encouraging them and affirming their value Because then they're far more likely to tap into it and utilize it than if I'm reaffirming the fact that I don't see their value.
0: Well, that's something that can be done on the team leader side. Just to go to the individual side, I'm remembering a friend I had many years ago. He'd been burned in a a fire when he was a child. His pajamas caught fire and Mm. he was really horribly disfigured all over his body, including under his neck, right up to his chin. And you noticed this immediately when you saw him. He was now, when I met him, 30 or 40 years old. Well, he was totally confident. Women fell all over themselves to get a date with the guy. And he had no impression that he was disfigured. He would laugh about her. He'd say, yeah, you know, it was traumatic. But inside himself, he was biased towards being an attractive human being. That's how he saw himself, and consequently, everybody else saw him that way. And, you know, we noticed the marks, but didn't really think much about it.
1: Well, yeah. So, I mean, one of the things we find when we're coaching leaders and, and even teammates is how can we realistically, honestly, authentically look for the best in each other and affirm the value and affirm the talents that that we each bring uh, because what we're trying to do, remember, if we say we're we're looking to mine the intelligence of the group, then the more I affirm it, the more other people are likely to start to see it. Right. And the more likely the person is themselves to feel safe and comfortable in offering it.
0: So let's just assume that bias is present um, in the workplace where I am, uh, where most of us are. It runs in cycles, and I know this is something you've really studied. Talk about the bias cycle and how we can diffuse that.
1: Well, so let's let's think about a bias cycle for a minute. Um, if I believe someone doesn't have talent, let's say, or been, they're not up for the job, let's use that term, and as a result, if I believe that you're not up for the job, I am likely to, if that's my mindset, we talked about mindset last time, if that's how I see you, then how I'm likely to behave towards you is I won't give you challenging assignments. I probably won't give you additional trainings. I don't think you've even got the capability. I maybe will put you on more mundane tasks or or jobs. And so as the cycle continues, unless you're really aware and on Mm -hmm. top of this, you're likely to begin to react, possibly in a defensive way. Maybe you uh... complain maybe you become disenchanted and and are putting in less effort all of those things become a self-fulfilling prophecy right. because I see you as either a complainer, yeah. a, a troublemaker. The proof shows up. Yeah, the proof shows up, and what I'm doing is I'm creating this self-fulfilling cycle. Now, you may have a bias yeah. about me, that I'm unfair, that I don't give you good enough assignments, and so you start to see me that way. So uh, all of a sudden we have, it's like gears of a machine, interlocking, yeah. creating this repeating yeah. bias cycle until... One of us, and it's helpful if it's the person in the up position, but it can be either, starts to suddenly go, wait a minute, you know, we've got this bias cycle playing out. How can I reframe how I see this other person? Mm-hmm. Uh, in my case, I shared last week about a boss I had that I believed was unfair and clueless. And once I started to, with the help of, of somebody mentoring me, say, well, what if you saw him as an ally? Right. How would you show up and behave towards an ally? Or, for example, had it, if had he been being coached and somebody said to him, what if you see him as someone of great value? How would you start to behave towards someone with great value? Yeah. Either side of that, as soon as you start to change how you show up, it creates a greater likelihood that the whole chemistry of the relationship is going to change. Uh, sometimes quickly, sometimes it takes a while. But changing how I show up in the situation begins to change the possibility of the bias cycle dissolving and us creating a new reality together.
0: I saw this depicted really artfully in a, a television program where a sheriff's deputy kept goofing up. And it got worse and worse until pretty serious mishap occurred. And he came into the sheriff's office to resign, pulled his badge out, set it down on the desk, and apologized. And the sheriff, in that moment, had a choice. And he was justified in accepting the resignation. But instead, there was this pause full of potential. And um, the sheriff picked up the badge, handed it back to him, and said, I hired you for two reasons. Number one, I believe in you. And I can't remember what the second thing was. <laughs> Good writing, yeah. but it was very powerful because how do I feel when someone looks me in the eye and says, I believe in you? Right. That uplifts me, that says, well, he's giving me another chance, that was what occurred in this situation, but that belief that another person has in me is like wind underneath my wings. That's going to lift me up. Right,
1: exactly. Uh, you know, and as, as you think about that, it's, it's one of the things where we've looked at this in terms of how a whole group functions, how a group dynamic functions, and that is if we are creating a sense of value and respect, uh, in one of our chapters we talk about the L word where somebody is really loved and respected and seen that somebody believes in them, they are likely to be their best self. And so uh, as leaders, as managers, even as team members, hopefully what we're aiming for is how do I support others in being their best self? Because in so doing, they're also far more likely to support me and encourage me to be at my best self.
0: Well, let's tie this together with uh, our program last week where we talked more about stories and look at how we can ensure that our stories are free of the the virus of bias. I'm I'm remembering an example years ago I worked in a small TV station up in Canada and we had a baseball league in town along with the fire department, the policemen, etc. Cetera, et cetera. right. And it was a, a a fun league. I think we called it the beer league and, and <laughs> you can guess what we were doing. <laughs> baseball was important but not it was a, it was a social thing. And I can remember when we were choosing players You were faced with that challenge, oh, I guess I've got to include her or him, but I know they can't play very well. So the story that was running included the bias about people's skill levels, and the story was I want to win. Right. Now, I can remember those of us who were putting our team together realizing this and going, well, you know, it's not really that important to win. It's more important to have a good time with our friends in town every Thursday night, I think it was. So we then began to choose according to a different story. That story wasn't, we want to win. It was, we want to have a good time and grow our friendship together. That change in the story made it easier to overcome our bias towards the good players against the bad players.
1: Well, so if you take that into a business setting, uh, you know, I think most leaders would say, well, we want to win, right? And so, yeah. so for them, it'd be a question, well, so what does winning require? What, what are right. the ingredients? And what does it really mean? Yeah, what does it really mean? And, and a lot of times what happens is we can become over-focused on quantitative outcomes without realizing that if we're not careful, will be will be suffering on the quality side of things. But the other one goes back to what you were saying. Assumptions that we're making about somebody's skill level uh, based on who we think they are right. versus what their real talent yeah. is and what they're really able to do if we bring them into the fold, so to speak, and give them the same level of support and encouragement we give somebody who we think is like us.
0: Well, and to finish off my story, this is exactly what happened. We played a number of games, and then we had a playoff, and we ended up in the playoffs, and we ended up in the final. And in the final, it was tied, it went. It was like a Hollywood movie, went down to the last inning, and uh, we were ahead by one run, and their big hitter came up and launched this bomb way out into the outfield, where fortunately our best player was. He caught it after one bounce. He heaved it all the way to home plate, and the guy was running around, He was coming into home plate when our catcher, who was a girl who had been kind of afraid of the ball, was standing and she put out her glove and turned her head away because she didn't want to look. The ball landed in her glove, the power of the ball moved her glove and hit the guys he slid in and she got him out. And we won. (laughs) got a trophy with an old runner glued to it. But she was the star. And I'll tell you, seeing her light up I would bet I mean this is forty years ago that today she still remembers that story, and that that really empowered her
1: well you know it's 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 incredible now now for her, in a way, you could say good fortune struck her yeah. uh, in that way, a lot of times uh, in a workplace setting uh, and i've I've been going through this with a, a leader who's coaching one of their people right now, and one of the things they've realized. Is they believed that somebody that came onto their team wasn't up for the task, yeah. oh. and so they started looking for everything that person was doing mm-hmm. that wasn't up to, mm-hmm. up to snuff.
0: They were a hammer, so all they saw was nails,
1: right? And their reticular activating system was looking for insufficiency and and so forth. And so in the coaching, one of the questions—it was just a simple question—I asked was, "Well, so tell me all the things that they've been doing right this week." Mm-hmm. And they started. Well, what was the reaction? Well, it kind of caught them off guard, yeah, and they went, yeah. "Wow, you know, I realize I haven't even been thinking about that." And so they what started. A moment! To, yeah, they I mean, that's started, a real
0: moment of awareness.
1: It is, and they started to list the various things this person was doing and all of the qualities they had that were beneficial, and they realized that you know maybe what they needed to do was give them some some mentoring in terms of the areas where they were weak, but also focus their attention into where their strengths were. It's completely, I think, going to provide a different relationship for those two people. They interrupted the bias cycle and started to look for ways to bring out that person's best. Yeah,
0: and it can be as simple as just being on the lookout to catch others doing something right. It also applies to ourselves. We can get very, very self-critical. We haven't really talked about the bias we have about ourselves. Maybe we'll get into that in another program.
1: Well, so for, you know, as you, as we finish up here, the real thing would be just to simply ask ourselves, is there a bias that's running my story right now? Is has a bias slipped into my thinking?
0: And then to come at it from the other way around, what story am I telling that causes certain biases to click into gear? Exactly.
1: Well, if you've got more thoughts or examples of, of biases or how you've overcome them, you can write us at thrivinginbusinessandlife at gmail.com. I'm Christopher Harding.
0: I'm Will. Wilkinson, so glad you can join us, we'll talk to you again next week.